Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Arthur Nobo, the principal at Knight Capital. Arthur, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Mike. I'm really looking forward for this chat. Uh, I love your story and uh, the amazing job that you are doing for the tech ecosystem, uh, but better than everyone to tell the story, uh, why don't you share with the audience uh, who is Harvard Novel? Yeah, thanks a lot. Sure, sure thing. So I joined the um, Startup World in 2014, basically shortly after figuring out that I, I wasn't really into the corporate world. and. I really learned, I would say, the startup drill at, uh, at Rocket Internet. I worked for uh, for one of their ventures, and it was like a great adventure going from, I would say, a C to a Series A type of state as, as a company and um, in Europe as well as, as South, Southeast Asia to really get this multi multicultural perspective. From there, I basically worked for, sev for several ventures and different types of projects, I would say, Venture development was really the thing I, I liked most because of its uh, diversity. And, and from there, I actually thought, okay, I really want to uh, go away from the from the operator model, but go to uh, get more of a top-down perspective on, uh, on, on, on startups. So I joined uh, the, the VC world and um, yeah, worked for two VCs there. And then after another year, I thought like, okay, I know the operator operator side, I know the uh, the, the VC side. Let's uh, let let's build my own company because I totally know how to do it. Well then, <laughs> at least that was the, at least that was the <laughs> assumption. <laughs> yeah, and it it turned out it was um, I wanted to enable remote work to the masses. And now uh, in 2021, looking backwards, uh, we really know that. Um, we had a great, great vision on the world, but we were a bit, a bit ahead of the market. So after some time, um, running Flexpad, my own company, and um, raising funds, building teams, um, I unfortunately had to close it down. And from there, I specialized in growth. And um, yeah, since one year ago, I joined uh, Knight Capital uh, yeah, to, to help the fund uh, get bigger. That's an amazing story. As I said, really being an operator, an investor, starting up your uh, own company. I, I, I like the way, and we will talk more about that. Uh, you have recently uh, wrote a book with another two co-authors, and I, I will already introduce the topic. Uh, the way you introduce yourself in, in, in the book, and I'm really kind of you to already shared it with me, a book where I've participated, um, that you have went from hype to this disillusionment uh, while running your your startup. This is quite interesting, right? So we come from we have operated experience, and this happened also in my career. So I've been seeing my parents leading a shoes company. Unfortunately, it went bankrupted, and I thought that if I was able to lead the company, uh, I would avoid them to go bankruptcy. Uh, then I had opportunity myself to be uh, a CEO of an agency and I thought, okay, this will scale like hell with me to L. Uh, and then I, I started uh, Scale Up Valley. So, and yeah, every single adventure were amazing. At the beginning, a lot of times I thought that I knew it all, right? And uh, it, it didn't help <laughs> a lot <laughs> to not have that uh, a Pinterest my, uh, mindset and, and to be really open 
and beginner mindset instead of the expert um, mindset. So in, in that sense, could, could you share a little bit more about you had really that operator and VC experience? Uh, what were some of the lessons and, and that journey and the way you describe it from hype to disillusionment? Yeah, so when I uh, started Flexpad, we were actually experimenting with things like like universal basic income and, and, and a lot of other things because we... Um, um, and, 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 and that is where we started. And it was a two-sided marketplace, so to speak. So we had um, tech developers on the one hand and we had companies on the other hand and we tried to match make them in, in, in between. And we initially decided to, to aim for the, the tech developers and basically promise them you can work remotely and um, you know have this amazing uh, digital nomad type of lifestyle um, and then we went to companies and say, like, hey, you have a shortage with, uh, with, with tech developers and you can really get them as long as you give them the lifestyle. And from there, we, we had like this vision of uh, unlocking remote work and then the whole ecosystem behind it, we would like in the end monetize. It was a, was, was a bold vision uh, in, in a way. And the tech, the, the tech side um, really liked it and we got like lots of signups um, just like in a matter of months. We got, I think, big the cost per acquisition was 15 cents or something. People were, re were really interested in it. We had people from over 150 countries, even from McKinsey, Google, Goldman Sachs, like really strong people. And then we went to the, um, so the, the consumer side was locked in. And at that time, I would say it was like a hype. You know, we got the investors in, people wanted to work for us. Uh, you really felt like a bit like uh, immortals, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, <laughs> And then basically we had to focus on the other side, which we thought like was very easy because uh, for companies it was a no-brainer with strong profiles to uh, mm -hmm. like ad ad adopt remote work. And then we really tried like everything, different types of customer segment, different types of propositions, different types of approaches. Um, and what we then really learned uh, that companies weren't too fond of it. Um, everyone had like a different reason uh, for it pre-COVID. But what you where I really see this disillusionment coming is that at some point it starts happening something with the team. If you feel there is there there is no success, uh, you start to run against like culture problems and people start. You have to motivate them in a different way. You get like uh, certain issues on on, on things. Um, you also have to really focus on managing your relationship with your co-founder well, which which I think we. We did well, but it was definitely um, something we had to be aware of. And then at some point you feel it's not it's not it's not going to work, even though you put tremendous amount of work and and, and hours into it. And um, yeah, that's why I basically look at it and say, like, I've seen the bright side, you know, that everyone wants to yeah. cover you and is very excited about you, but also the downside and what then happens when we started. This is quite good also because uh, we are seeing this new generation of VCs with strong operator uh, experiences, right? And you can really now in the investor side, again, uh, can understand what is going on on the operator side, especially the psychological changes and personal development um, transformations that I think it's, it's one of the main uh, issues on scaling up a company right it's it's avoiding that we the process that we can become the bottleneck of growth of the company and we can also suffer a lot as a human being in the process 
process of uh, scaling up a company. Unfortunately, nowadays, if we are well surrounded, we can make it not easy, but a little bit easier and not, and less suffering uh, that experience, right? So in, in that sense, yeah, go ahead, Arthur. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. And just from my own experience, I, I've seen that I had at some point two board members and advisors, uh, Andreas and Victor, and if your business is not going well, just the way they, they treated and supported me, even though they knew at some point it was not going really to work out. From that experience, you learn so much, which you can actually also give back to, to founders that you support. Okay. And on, on the especially what you say on this on, on, on this mental perspective, but also your attitude as a board member. Um, yeah, in it, in addition to indeed looking from an operator point of view to uh, yeah, supporting a business. Absolutely. I love it. So introductions done. Also a disclosure. Uh, we had the, um, the, the privilege of uh, working together in at Smart Protection. I'm advising the, the CEO, Javier Perea, and the leadership team. And Knights Capital is one of the investors of um, Smart Protection as well. So really privileged to, to work together uh, there and to keep scaling uh, smart protection and democratizing brand protection. But um, I would like also to introduce an amazing job that you have been doing and that you were kind enough to invite me to participate in, which is the book. Uh, so I will let you introduce uh, the amazing book that you are putting together. Yeah, th thanks a lot, Mike. It's um, The book is called Le Leaders of Growth. And what, we, what we've seen and why we actually started writing it is that we've, we've seen a lot of, of founders having questions about how do you scale a company? Uh, we see there is a lot of content available on hey, how to get to product market fit. And there is a lot of content available on like, big successful exits from founders you know, who started unicorns or raised hundreds of millions of euros. But this sort of in-between state, let's call this Series A to Series C, yeah, broadly defined, there isn't a lot of uh, information for, uh, for, for that. And at the same time, we see there are lo lots of questions. Exactly. It is from uh, as founders, but also from our investor practice. So that's why we decided to write a book, which is uh, very similar, I would say, to Tribe of Mentors from Tim Ferriss, but then I would say on company growth. So what mm -hmm. we do- um, Love it. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great concept from Tribe of Mentors. It's actually helped yeah. myself. So it was like a huge inspiration for this book. And, and where it's about, we describe how do you get from series A to C um, and what are the challenges you get across and how do you deal with those? I mean, just discuss this with uh, what we say, 47 experts, like founders, operators, or um, industry experts on, on, on how to do that. And then we bundle that uh, together in the, in, in the, in the book. I really love it and the inspiration and uh, totally agree this this kind of mid stage uh, from series A to series C in, in B2B SaaS and also from kind of one to 10 million ARR, right? Uh, it's, there, there is a lot because usually, uh, I think you are completely right. And for instance, if I think about the, um, the podcast, the masters of scale, it's really, really focused on very large uh, corp uh, corporations nowadays. Of course, we have been startups and, and scale-ups at a certain point. Uh, of course, there are other podcasts that I really enjoy, like uh, Saster and SaaS Talk, uh, which are uh, close friends of the ecosystem, who has contributed a lot. But in terms of the a book, there is not so many playbooks and a book available on how to go from one to 10 million. Really, really with focus on, on this size. And 
I'd like to share the stats that only 4% of all companies uh, are able to get to 1 million in revenues and only 0.4% to 10 million, which shows that the 10% of the ones who are get, or the only 10% of the ones who get to 1 million are able to get to 10 million. I will repeat, only 10% of the ones who get to 1 million are able to get to 10 million, which are talking about 0.4% of all companies. And 200 million, it's under 0.04%, under 10% go from 10 to 100 million. So which means that the ones who are, as you said, successfully found product market fit and were able to start up the company in this early stage of scale up or the mid stage as you were classifying the one to 10, uh, 10% are the only, so 90% are also killed uh, along that stage. Uh, so in that sense, I think that's a great contribution uh, with this book. So congrats again, and a privilege to, to have participated with two cents uh, in being one of the, one of the interviews. Right? Yeah, thanks a lot. And also for sharing these statistics. I, I actually didn't didn't even know it. <laughs> if I, I should had, have shared that yeah. in our call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, then it would have worked harder, you know, just to meet all the deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, okay, perfect. So let, let's cover some of the topics uh, that are in the book and other ones from your own um, thoughts that are might not be on the book as well. But let, let's start with the first one. You, you know, we, here we always cover three critical ingredients to scale kind of our principles, the patterns that we see working on with multiple VC-backed companies uh, across the last 15 years. And kind of the first one is radical focus. Number two is world-class leadership. And number three, uh, the execution operating system or execution machine. And we keep iterating on those three principles and making it more clear. But I think that's the first topic that we both would like to discuss here that I think that you have amazing insights is really related with that radical focus on creating that strategy model, that revenue machine, as I like to call it. So what are some of your thoughts on, 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 that, uh, on the options that companies have in order to, to grow or scale? Yeah, great. So what we have developed internally and we took the, the NSOF model as an inspiration for that is that we have designed like a framework uh, on how to grow because uh, especially if you hit series A or series B, the options are paramount. So what we like to focus at is we have designed this model as follows. Uh, it starts with like a winning aspiration. And then second, um, what do you want to achieve? And the second element is uh, how do you win? How, yeah, how do you win? What's your differentiation in the company? But the thing where we focus uh, most on is this is this first decision that you have to make is do you want to uh, penetrate or do you want to expand in your, in your current market and um, in that framework we we spend most of the time um, thinking about where do you want to play as a com as a company and uh, just to make that a bit more uh, concrete, because this is, I think, where all the options come into. Hey, because you have developed your product, your differentiation is quite clear. Um, and wh where to play, I see like a couple of options, which are like, hey, which countries do you want to play in? Uh, which industries do you want to play in? Um, which customer segments are you going to serve? Like enterprise, mid-market, um, SMB. And also which distribution models are you going to leverage and like outbound, inbound channel uh, and whatnot. And also like, what are you going to do with product? Are you going more like white or are you going a bit more like deep? And if you then 
I first describe like where are you now and then describe where are you like in 18 months uh, or maybe even like uh, in, in a longer period you can directly see like okay how many strategic bets am i going to place in the in this coming 18 months and this is actually attainable or is it actually too broad and should you narrow narrow your scope <laughs> and this is i would say just starting rewriting that that's i would say the, the first thing what we what, what what we always start doing and what we discuss absolutely. with founders absolutely from my experience with every single ceo and leadership team it's it's a huge fight uh, on this because it's very counterintuitive right so uh, in this kind of the champions league of business or the olympic case of, of business that i like to call the the vc packet industry uh, we know the stats we just shared them so under 0.04% uh, are able to get 200 million. So, and that is the journey of a VC packet company go from zero to 100 million plus uh, in, in less than a decade. Uh, and I would say that even in 12 or 15 years, I think it would be already a, a very good um, milestone or an amazing legendary milestone. Of course, if we are able to do in five or seven, uh, that is really uh, historical and, um, and in that sense, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things which, which I think there is like a big misconception about is this uh, concept of, pro of product market fit. Um, I came to agree that I um, agree less and less with the concept. It's now, I think it's how I interpret how it's often perceived. It's like you have product market fit and from there you scale. However, um, and maybe you get to you get, you, you get to one million in ARR with that. But in order to grow to to, to ten million ARR, as, as your statistic said, or even to hundred million, you have to start playing in geographies and in industries and in different customer segments. You have to launch additional distribution channels in order to to grow to that level. And interestingly, that all those different steps you need to get product market fit in that in that um, in, in that sort of bucket. And that's why I don't think a company can can really realize like one product market fit. You potentially, in order to reach like hundred million, you potentially need to <laughs> hit like a hundred <laughs> out of that, and that makes it so in, in, incredibly hard. But that's also why, for instance, scaling is not one dimensional. I love it. That's that's a great point, and why I love to talk about the the radical when we discuss this critical ingredients, the the radical focus always playing in the short, the mid and long term. Usually founders and CEOs and leadership team all, all get that we need to work on the short and the long term, but what misses is the mid term. The mid term is what you are just uh, explaining, right? In the short term, we need to exploit, exploit, double down on what is already working. For instance, in terms of uh, geography, if we are playing in free geographies and one of them is performing the best, let's not reinvent the wheel, just double down on where we are scaling and where the market is telling you that, that we can do better. But if we are not working already in the second geography and trying to find product market fit, so when we get the next threshold of revenue, we have it ready to scale. If we start only working that on the short term, it's too late. So that's why we need to really have this exploit and explore mentality, as you said, kind of scaling up in one variable and starting up in another variable so it is ready to scale up when we need that variable to, to go to the next threshold, it can be from five to 10 or 10 to 20, uh, while we are exploiting the current one to go from one to five or from series A to, uh, to series B. So that, that's, that's really a, a great point. Yeah, 
Thanks a lot. I, I often I often see, yeah, I think you also mentioned it actually in the book, what's the point I really liked was that uh, you have to plan 12, 12 to 24 months ahead or where you will be in order uh, so, so that you <laughs> will be at the right stage in, in time. Absolutely. Great. I'm not sure if you would like to uh, add something else on the conceptual uh, framework to for scaling. It's all uh, good in that in that point. Uh, you also have an interesting concept that you shared with me that uh, we didn't have the, the opportunity to chat about it yet. So I, I'm really curious uh, in this interview to, to to kind of go through my curiosity. So you're talking about the concept of having an aid of scaling. So wh what is an aid of scaling and why we so, need them? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's really something that after doing a lot of research, talking with all the people uh, like 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 yourself, I, I really figured out it, it it's a lot to uh, to to, uh, to to work on. Uh, like I see maybe like a COO is often focused on what is the business right now, mm -hmm. whereas I think the head of scaling, who can ideally be under the COO, um, mm -hmm. is basically focused on 12 to 24 months ahead of the business. And I think the critical gap that this person fills is if I look to series A or series B type of companies, I, I see strong functional leaders. So for instance, you have a marketeer like a CMO or VP of marketing who's very strong in, for instance, demand gen or um, like knows basically how to create content. But really scaling an organization and having that conceptual framework in mind, yeah, for instance, thinking about, you know, what KPIs do I need to measure? What people do I need? What documentation processes and tooling do, do I need? And um, a bit more from an organizational point of view, I do not always see that being present, uh, at least in the in the companies that, I, that I've seen uh, for, for, from my side. And that's why I think that a head of sailing, a head of scaling, <laughs> not of sailing. <laughs> this is also too. important. Yeah, yeah. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and the different uh, exactly. ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, that person with, uh, who have either done it like before or who have a bit of like a McKinsey type of background can really be uh, a value add to a company um, yeah, to prepare the company for the next stage, so to speak. I love that that point, um, and just to kind of build on that, it's really at a certain point the founder started the company because it, it's kind of a, a rebel mentality, the entrepreneurial mentality that wants to break the rules, right? And at a certain point, it starts feels that he has created his own prison. So uh, now he has a company that, in order to scale, needs to follow rules, needs to follow systems, processes. And if there is no uh, structure, it will not be able to scale, but still needs that spark, that vision, that reinvention, that artistic part. If not, we will just present the playbook of how to scale a company and we would assure that the input will get an output, which is a, a successful 100 plus business and our business will be quite easy, right? So we would just uh, implement the framework and it will be done. But we know that it's not only the science of scaling, there is also the art of scaling and that's what entrepreneurs are needed. So I think that in that sense, when the company starts being a prison for the entrepreneur, he misses the freedom, he misses the creative art, and that's the moment that he should bring kind of a CEO 
which will be kind of the internal CEO and structure everything. And it will be focused more in the specific function or in, in thinking about the future, evangelizing, being the communicator, the spokesperson, and being much more um, off or ends off in, in the business. What I like about it is that the CEO will also be overwhelmed with so much things to do. And in that sense, the second level, I think it's, it's brilliant, the head of scaling that would kind of focus much more on that midterm uh, that usually we see it's very it's very difficult to it's so many variables so many balls in the air that again this is not the job of a superhero as i like to say it's a job of a super team and i think that's again that complementarity of the ceo the leadership team the coo and the head of scaling it's quite uh, quite a good point thanks for sharing yeah definitely most welcome and uh, you also wanted to share some HR learnings that you have been observing uh, as an operator and as an investor that might be relevant for, for the founders, CEOs, and executives that are listening to the Scale Up Valley podcast. Yeah, definitely. I'm, one of the consistent things I learned from uh, the people in the book and what I've seen like first firsthand myself is that initially uh, when a company is early stage, um, let, let's take like the seed round as an example, but some could also include like series A. You're really looking for T-shaped people. They are basically jack of all trades. They um, have <laughs> a very broad skill set, but it's not very it's not very deep. But basically, as the company grows, eh, everything starts getting more uh, complex, and also the requirements start 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 getting different, and you get more people in. Then I see this basically T-shaped getting narrow. So basically it's getting less wide, <laughs> it's getting more deep. And then if you get to series C, series D, or basically I would say a large company, 25 million or 50 million plus, you really start getting more of this uh, I-shaped people who are not, not that broad, but know a lot about a specific topic. And what is important with this is if you make your HR planning is to think like, okay, where will I be in at 12 to 24 months? And what type of profiles um, do I need? But also if you, for instance, uh, get this, you want to hire, for instance, like a CMO, and you get now someone in from, let's say from Microsoft or from Zendesk, who's currently like the CMO. It's an absolute top profile and the person is, is, is very skilled. But if you're in a series B stage company, potentially this person is like very I-shaped and not very still a bit T-shaped, what, what you need. And having that perspective maybe um, helps you as a mental framework to, to know what type of people that you need. That, that's really a great point. And it makes me think about kind of, as we do with product, creating different versions of everything, kind of the radical focus of the revenue machine you have different versions for different thresholds of, 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 of revenue. In terms of a leadership team, I like to call the leadership team 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 for series A, series B, series C, and even with iterations in between uh, rounds. And also the execution machine or the execution operating system also needs to have different versions. So if it is the, if the systems to lead the business are too complex in the beginning, if they're kind of corporate oriented for a startup, it will not work. If you have a scale up and you are still trying to manage the company, lead the company with a startup uh, cockpit, it will not work uh, as well. And it kind of fits the same kind of thought process in the type of roles that you feel. So they need to be able to solve the issues and the problems of that particular stage 
of, uh, of growth. If possible, if you can find a profile that is able to go from one or two stages, that would be the ideal because if you have to change all the seats from stage of growth to stage of growth, this also creates a cultural and execution problem. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a person we, we both know, eh, the, the, the CRO of, of, of Divi, um, yeah. I think he really made like a, a great point because I also asked him like, how do you get from seed states all the way, you know, to like, I think series D or something, top of 100 million race. How, yeah, how did exactly. you make that transition? And according to him, eh, if I interpret him correctly, uh, it, it really has to do with the mindset of the person that you, for instance, had, like read a lot and that you're not, in my own words, lazy to to reinvent yourself. And then, and I think that's a unique breed because most of the people don't make it across stages. But if you can hire those people in, in the early days, if you recognize that talent, I think that goes a very long way because as you say, you lose so much knowledge if people drop out after every stage uh, of where the company is. So that's a great point. And um, something that I also learned in the podcast with, with Sterling, uh, the CRO at DV uh, that, that we both know, and that I recommended for, for the book to Arthur, is it's helped a lot to kind of bring a core team from a previous venture that they already know each other. So it increases the speed uh, a lot as well. And we are seeing uh, kind of even the, the, the PayPal mafia effect so all that all the members of that leadership team were went out to create the next generation of uh, billion dollar companies. Uh, so which which is quite impressive if you want to search online PayPal mafia for for our listeners. I think that you will see the impact that one single leadership team can have in a, one ecosystem. Yeah, and, and, and to build on that, I think it's a it's a really strong point. Um, one of the things I I, I learned in, in the book with very lines with, with what you just said is that you 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 shouldn't only hire let's call it newbies. Have people who do it for the first time. Like even if they have worked in a corporate, but who are who are doing it for the first time, you should really build in a company this combination of people who have done it before, okay. who have been twelve to twenty four months ahead of where you are today. And on the other hand, you can have these talents who can be sort of um, uh, mentored by the people who have done it before. And really getting this balance is, is so vital in order to succeed. Because and these PayPal mafia persons, um, what they could bring in and avoid like all the mistakes that you make when you're like in hyperscale mode, that's so important because otherwise you make all um, yeah, mistakes which you shouldn't make before. It just pointed out one of the most important things that you need to, again to think strategically about the, the different versions of your leadership team. So, and diversity is one of them. If you are trying to create a global company, you really need to have uh, different uh, geographies or different nationalities there with different experiences scaling in different geographies uh, in the industries where you want to scale. So you really want that diversity also in terms of gender, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but th that's really something important to plan. And again, that's so many variables to be on top of that sometimes we bring, we, we let some of them go down and that's why you need a super team and not a superhero uh, leading the company. Yeah, I, I, can, I cannot agree more. And uh, is there any other point? Of course, there are so many more points that we need to 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 cover by especially reading the book, uh, Leaders of Growth, and, and getting you back later when the book is, is more spread out. 
but is there anything you'd like to, to uh, highlight before we wrap up, Arthur? Yeah, I think there are um, two things. Uh, one is for the founders, um, and for the and, and the other comment is for the potential head of scaling. I think for the founders, something I find um, very very important. What what I got from many people: um, a focus on mental well-being. Um, yep. Take your time off. Um, as a founder myself, also work like day and night, but <laughs> you know, try to discipline yourself to to take time off. Also really spend time on managing the relationship with your co-founder. Like for instance, just hire an executive coach. Um, even if it's if the situation goes really well. Um, and the last thing is get a mentor and surround yourself with, uh, with people who have done it before. So that, was, that were some of the things that I find important. And why I find that is it, you see like, a, it's not often talk, but if you look to the number of the chance to get like a depression, as a founder compared to like a, let's call it a regular person, um, it's like, it's, it's very high. I think it's two times uh, the, the, the chance. So I think focusing on this, uh, it's not often talked about, but I think it's very important in order to uh, uh, succeed in this so-called marathon. Mm -hmm. And um, and the second point, which I would say is uh, relevant for ever, any operator, but specifically for the so-called uh, um, head of uh, head or head of scaling, is to if you are thinking about scaling, uh, the mental framework that that we like to think about is to first think in dimensions, uh, like uh, what do you have to take into consideration when you scale, and the second thing is to think in maturity stages. So if I talk about dimensions. I, for instance, talk about uh, what is, if you, for instance, take sales, what is the main objective from sales in your current states? What KPIs and data do you need to gather in your current states? The same goes, what type of people do you need in your current states? What type of documentation and enablement materials are very important right now? Uh, what type of processes and tooling do you need? Mm -hmm. And that is like the dimensions where you have to look for um, now, but also 12 to 18 months ahead. So that on these dimensions, you basically know where you have to develop and can create this traditional uh, gap analysis. And something I think I also want to want to say is on take maturity stages into account. I think especially if you're an insecure overachiever <laughs> uh, or or like a, ma a maximizer, you want to uh, you want to create like a very scalable organization, which is maybe uh, like for a Series D type of uh, stage when you're just in Series B. So please recognize that there are different stages of maturity where you have to be in. So in the beginning, I usually see at uh, the seed stage, I see things are more ad hoc. Then when you work towards Series A, and in the Series A, it's more about fixing the basics. Um, series A to Series B, it's about ha having repeatable processes. Um, series B, I see more, it's about predictable processes. And onwards, it's really about doing things at scale. And therefore, if you, it's not about scaling, it's not one dimensional. It's really about doing the right things at the right state. And um, yeah. I can go much deeper into it, but this is yeah. just like a mental framework on how I basically build scaling roadmap myself. Thanks for sharing, Arthur. It's I really love the concept of the insecure overachiever. Sometimes I even see myself on on that concept, to be honest. And uh, also, other thing that I'd like to emphasize: it's what you said in in the beginning of your additional points. 
Um, I've also been through anxiety, depression, burnout myself. So, and uh, I would really, really recommend, and I'm seeing, I'm really recommending all the CEOs that I work with also not only to have an advisor and mentor, but also to have a therapist uh, and a psychologist working with them. Because again, we can become the, the, our own most important enemy or bottleneck of growth. And there is so much things that we will face during this stage. And again, this is a very aggressive kind of growth and a very aggressive kind of learning, not only the technical learning. I think that's if we have a good team, we can go through that, but it's really the, the personal learning getting to know uh, about ourselves and facing our dark sides. And as you said, there is moments where uh, the press, the investors, uh, the clients, the, the team, all thinks that you are the best in the world and other moments that uh, everyone thinks that you should be out of the company as quickly as possible. And as I like to say, you were never so bad as you think in those low moments. And you were not so good as we, as you fought in those eye moments. So stay centered and and stay also um, with with the therapist. I think it's 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 becoming kind of a not the outliers, an outlier thing, but a standard thing. We really need to have that psychologist in the team to work ourselves because we are a, again we are playing the Champions League. And if you see any professional athlete that is playing the Champions League have a team of nutritionists, a team of psychologists, technical training, mental training, visualization training, sleep uh, um, advice. So every single thing is, is really, uh, they are really supported uh, with, with the best of the best in, in their fields. Again, we can't do this alone. We need to have a super team, not to be superheroes. And before we wrap up, because we are already going very ahead uh, in time, but I think it was uh, deserved for everyone who is listening. If you would have the opportunity to meet yourself at the beginning of your career as an operator or as an investor or both, uh, if you would give us kind of a sentence, what advice would you offer to your younger self? It's a very interesting and great question. In all honesty, I think it's quite interesting to pitch yourself that you've all envisioned it like early on, but maybe I ended up like as an investor, I made like lots of bets in, in my career, which could actually have gone the whole, the whole other way around. Um, so I would say where I'm right now is partially mindset, but also a, a, a lot of luck. And um, I say to the people in my team, don't repeat my path. Um, but what I would have recommended my, my, my earlier self is maybe if you want to become like a founder, join like a very successful company, just for instance, post series B, where you have strong leadership and where you can learn a lot from. Uh, rather than going early stage and that you have to figure out like everything yourself. And um, I think then that in, in general is like a good recommendation. If you, for instance, want to, the same applies for instance, if you're joining McKinsey, because you learn a lot there um, before. Um, yeah, you learn a lot of, learn a lot of life skills, which you can also learn yourself, but it just takes significant more time and effort. And there is a, a bigger risk to fill. So um, I would say your your chance to succeed is higher if you already joined the successful early on. 
Exactly. I haven't chosen. I haven't chosen that path, um, <laughs> and we see where I will end up. But um, yeah, it's been a, a nice journey so far. Amazing, Harvester. Thanks so much for making the time for joining us, and congrats again for the book, Leaders of Growth. A pleasure to to be part of it. Thanks a lot, Mike. Also for your contribution. It was really great. Awesome. And to our community, as you can see, we keep bringing you the best of the best and the best resources possible. Now, uh, Arthur has put it together uh, with, uh, with his co-authors, the book Leaders of Growth, another resource to help the ecosystem to scale and make your life easier in your journey to, to scale your business. See you soon and keep scaling. 